Control. Today is October the 10th, 2023. This is the docket for Houston, Texas. On the 11 o'clock docket are the jointly administered cases under case number 23-90795, CBNI UK Limited. Folks, um, this case, as you may or may not know, was assigned to Judge Lopez. Lo judge Lopez will be the judge on the case. Uh, he sends his regrets for not being able to attend this morning. Um, I told him I was reluctant even to relay that, although he, he made me do it, as many of you may or may not know. Judge Lopez's mother lost a long battle to cancer last week, and today is the funeral. Uh, so um, all I know, all of our thoughts are with Judge Lopez. Um, we've done our best to make the transition. I do not know if an electronic link has been set up or not. Uh, just to make sure if you do choose to speak, um, please um, note your appearance. You may want to send a um, case manager just an email that said, hey, I appeared, and we'll figure out a way to note your, your official appearance today. For those of you who are on the telephone, and I note there are more on the telephone than there are on video, uh, we are using Judge Lopez's dial-in link. We could not get the video link to follow, so we are using my video link. So as opposed to typing in Judge Lopez, it would be Judge Jones if you want to activate the video link. Dial-in, again, is Judge Lopez. That's working just fine. Um, we are recording this morning using CourtSpeak. We'll have the audio of the hearing up on the docket shortly after the conclusion of the hearing. Um, for today and today only, um, obviously first time that you speak, if you would please state your name and who you represent. Uh, that really does help the court reporters. And I say for today and today only simply because I've never sat in a Judge Lopez hearing. I don't know how he handles these things. Um, if you haven't already done so, know you're going to be speaking five star on your telephone. I'll get you unmuted. You can, of course, change your mind at any time. Um, I went through very quickly on the pro hoc request. I think I got them all. If I missed one and it's on file, consider, consider yourselves authorized to speak if you need to this morning. I think I also got, I got the designation of the complex chapter 15 filed. Also got the order uh, granting the joint administration. So with that, Mr. Greco, good morning. Good morning, Your Honor. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Thank you for checking. Thank you, Judge. Uh, Chris Greco from Kirkland and Ellis, proposed counsel for the debtors. Your Honor, I'm joined today by my colleagues, Mr. Luz and Mr. Williams. Your Honor, should we should we jump right in? Do we need to take any appearances or anything else? I, can, I have a couple of slides I'd love to present if we could. Uh, of course, again, I think, because I don't want... 50 people to have to jump on the line to make an appearance. If you want your appearance noted again, um, if if the link isn't up, and I didn't check, Mr. Greco, did you have, is the link up on Judge Lopez's website? I don't know, Your Honor. Fair we'll, enough. We will it, check. If it's not, I would ask those who want their official appearance recorded to simply send. I'm sorry. It, is it is up. All right, thank you. I am told that the link is up and has been verified. So for those of you who want to record your electronic appearance, quick trip to Judge Lopez's website, you'll see uh, you'll see the link there on, on his website. Mr. Greco, who would you like uh, control transfer to? 
Remember, my colleague, Ms. Cipriano, with a C, is sitting in the room with me here, and she has control of the slide, if that's okay. Of course, and she is logged on. Oh, there she is. for raising your hand. You should now have control. Thank you, Your Honor. While the slides are coming up, just uh, the way we'd love to proceed, Your Honor, is I have a, a couple of slides to walk the court and the parties through just to set the stage, and then uh, my colleague, Mr. Ruse, will handle um, the cross of the agenda. Mr. Williams will handle the witnesses. We have three declarations. If any live testimony is needed, Mr. Williams will handle that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Just for the outset, Your Honor, we, we really do appreciate you sitting in for Judge Lopez, and of course, on behalf of all the parties, we send our condolences to Judge Lopez. Um, Your Honor, uh, you're, you are actually very familiar with the greater enterprise here at McDermott International, um, and so if you'll indulge me just a few minutes for, for the parties that are maybe not as familiar or don't have as much history, I'll go through a little bit of setting the stage of this Chapter 15 here. Um, we're here... We're here today on the Chapter 15 uh, of three uh, legal entities, and those are the three highlighted in green on the chart. Now, this is a simplified, considerably corporate org chart of the structure. Your Honor, will recall um, McDermott International Limited, the ultimate parent, um, commenced a Chapter 11 case, a prepackaged Chapter 11 case that Your Honor presided over in January of 2020, and that plan was confirmed in March of 2020, which many of us remember very well because it was confirmed, I think, on the day that the lockdown started on or about March 11th um, of 2020. Um, subsequent to that, you may recall that the, the main uh, condition to effectiveness of the last restructuring was the sale of the Lummis technology business, which then closed about 50 or so days later in June of 2020, and that plan was consummated. We would all describe that restructuring, Your Honor, notwithstanding us being back before the court today on this Chapter 15, as having been successful. It achieved its goals. Uh, it delivered the company significantly uh, to the tune of billions of, of dollars. Um, it brought in fresh capital. Um, and it, as, as effectively at that time, because it was a prepackaged plan, it had unsecured creditors and, and customers um, rise through unimpaired. It also had any pending litigation, of course, rise through unimpaired as well. And that was something that was carefully thought about and considered at the time, but because of the level of consensus and the urgency, um, that was the decision at that time. So that restructuring was successful. Unfortunately, though, um, and you've heard the COVID story many times the last several years, but COVID immediately had an impact on this business because what this company does, as Ron knows, is it builds things around the world. It has about 30,000 employees, right? And it's a construction company, an engineering and construction company. And so many of those projects were delayed, shut down, postponed, et cetera. Um, and, and that really um, was the, the first um, stumbling block in the wake of the last Chapter 11 in 2020. Your Honor, I'll, I'll, I'll just flip to the next slide and show you briefly the capital structure. So, it, it's complicated. Not all of this is funded, though, and not nearly all of it. So, Your Honor may also recall that the nature of this business is such that when uh, 
when the company wins new business. So when a, when a, a big oil and gas company, for example, uh, awards a project to McDermott, then that project co- comes with the requirement that there be performance letters of credit posted to support that project, and they're often multi-year projects. And so the company's capital structure today um, is not really because they went up and re-levered. It's really just a function of uh, the need to have multiple facilities available to post letters of credit when the company wins work. And so uh, you may recall the story of the last restructuring as well, but the business um, is fragile because of the nature of the letters of credit. Um, the company really um, needs to project confidence to its customers, and it does a great job of doing that. Otherwise, it has the risk of crystallizing a lot of this complicated capital structure and causing LCs to be drawn. Um, and so one of the you know, main goals here is, is to keep the company stable throughout this process so that we can maximize value um, and continue achieving on its business. Go to the next slide, please. Your Honor, so I already mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic, which obviously impacted um, projects, particularly for, for this construction company. Um, other things, including uh, oil price collapsing, which impacted the ultimate customers of the business, which caused them, in, in certain instances, to postpone projects. The company was subject um, to a cybersecurity incident um, that cost them money and time and, and slowed them down for about eight weeks uh, when they lost access to their system. And then other just geopolitical events, for example, uh, the Russia-Ukraine uh, crisis has, has impacted things like the global supply chain, which this company relies on in many of its projects. So all of those things were headwinds that the company's faced in the last couple of years since the last restructuring. Notwithstanding that, the company has continued to win new work, um, and management has been largely hitting its projections and executing on its business plan well. Earlier this year in 2023, the company began uh, what we refer to as amend and extend negotiations with its creditors to effectively address uh, a wall of maturities on the letter of credit facilities, because these LC facilities are so important to the business. The company was making good progress on those negotiations. There were two large uh, ad hoc groups that were formed. There was an LC CFO of lenders, uh, and then there was an ad hoc group of lenders that were both creditors and shareholders of McDermott, which is a private company now. Um, those negotiations were going well until the company uh, was hit with a billion-dollar arbitration award in favor of entity that we refer to as Repicar. Um, Repicar, so effectively, Judge, this was a legacy project that CB&I, Chicago, Bridge and Iron, uh, did in, uh, in and around, I think, 2010, 2012 timeframe. Arbitration was commenced by a company owned by the Colombian government called Echo Control. Um, the arbitration was a AAA arbitration uh, commenced in, uh, in 2015, and that award, uh, we didn't have a sense of when the timing would be. We obviously didn't predict the results, but that award came down in June of 2023. So in the midst of its amend and extend 
negotiations that were that were close to to being final, that amends and extends absent that may have been executed out of court, but it was unclear. Um, but in the midst of that, with this arbitration coming down, the company needed to seek to address a slightly broader restructuring than just the capital structure. And that's what it did. Go to the next slide, please. I'll talk a little bit about the broader restructuring. Yeah, one more, please. Your Honor, so the, the company in early September um, basically built in, uh, as, you know, amended its, its transaction that it had been negotiating with its financial creditors um, to execute a cross-border restructuring. So the, the Rapapar arbitration was an award against two of the three debtors in this Chapter 15. The, the main debtor, the CB&I UK, obviously a UK uh, entity, and the McDermott entity, uh, not McDermott International Limited, the parent, but McDermott International Holdings CV, which is a Netherlands entity. And then there's a third entity called Leland Finance that's part of this Chapter 15 that's also a Dutch Netherlands entity. And so what the company has commenced overseas are... Uh, uh, proceedings in two different jurisdictions. We've commenced a process in the UK that we refer to as the RP, the UK RP or restructuring plan, and we've we've commenced a process in the Netherlands that we refer to as the Dutch WOA, W-H-O-A, which is a new, uh, relatively new insolvency regime in place in the Netherlands, and those processes are underway. We have, I'll, I'll come to it in a second, I'll talk a little bit about what, what stage they are in, but they've been recently commenced. Talk briefly as part of the TFA, I'll just note that to address liquidity, we go to the tank slot tank. Uh, the company entered into as part of that TFA what we refer to as the tanks transaction, which was effectively a drop down uh, financing of the tanks business that the company has and it was provided by members of, of the parties to the TSA. And that financing um, is, is meant to support the business during this restructuring. So effectively, you could think of it as a dip, except it was executed pre-filing. I want to just talk a little bit about the broad stakeholder support. It's not before the court today, but I think it's obviously relevant to things that we're, we're doing and the stay we're asking for. Um, you know, we, we're proud to say that the TSA negotiations um, did result in significant stakeholder support. And so if you look across the different facilities, um, the company has um, well above two-thirds, in some, in some instances almost 100% support um, across different classes. Um, and that will be relevant in, those, well, in, the, in the foreign proceedings in the U.K. and the Dutch Boa. But it's also just notable for the court to know that it, we do enjoy broad consensus. Now, I will say you'll hear likely from uh, counsel to wrap apart today, and you may hear also from counsel there are a few minority creditors that are not yet supportive of the transaction. We look forward to continuing to engage with all those parties, but notwithstanding 
whatever reservations of rights or objections may come, the court should know that there is broad general support for this restructuring, this cross-border restructuring. Just to touch briefly on the English proceeding, you know, when we have a declaration in support of this from my colleague, Ms. Crawford, but the English proceeding in Part 26A of the Companies Act are referred to as the RP, similar to the scheme of arrangement in the U.K., although the RP can bind dissenting classes, provided you meet the relevant requirements of the U.K. RP. So the relevant alternative, I think of similar to our best interest test or liquidation analysis, and there's an independent advisor that's providing a report to the U.K. judge on the relevant alternative and why this works, and all dissenting creditors would be no worse off, so effectively our best interest test. And then you have to have at least one impaired class opposed to accept the claim in the U.K. We've met those. In the U.K., we had an initial hearing equivalent to our first day hearing. They call it convening hearing. That convening hearing went as planned, and the U.K. court had scheduled November the 27th for its sanction hearing, which is the equivalent of a confirmation hearing in the U.S. And the second, I'll just flash some of the other dates just for the court's awareness, the party's awareness. Briefly, just touch as well on the Dutch proceeding, the WOA. The WOA has also been commenced. We had an equivalent of a first day hearing yesterday, so early stages in the Dutch WOA. The company has sought a stay there in the WOA that the court will take up in the near term, and then we have similar requirements on the relevant alternative, and then two-thirds requirement in voting in the Dutch proceeding. So each jurisdiction is obviously a little bit different, but there also are some similarities, and we enjoy the requisite support, we think, to have what officers call a confirmable cross-border plan in each of the relevant jurisdictions. Briefly touch on the timeline. I mentioned some of this already. A few of the dates marry up to November 3rd for the relevant voting deadline, although obviously with the stakeholder support under the TSA, we anticipate that that vote will come in with abundant support. As I mentioned, the U.K. has scheduled November the 27th for the sanction hearing. That could be, as I understand it, a multi-day hearing in the U.K., so it may take three or four days the week of the 27th. We have asked, and Mr. Booz will take this up in a moment, but we have asked as part of our scheduling request to set a recognition hearing date in the Chapter 15. We did coordinate with Mr. Alonzo before court and understand that perhaps December 5th at 1 o'clock might work for Judge Lopez, but I'll let Mr. Booz take that up in a moment. Your Honor, unless you have any questions for me, I would pass the virtual podium to Mr. Booz, who will get into the agenda today. Mr. Greco, I don't have any questions. I compliment your team on putting this together in an easy-to-read, informative fashion. It took me no more than a couple hours to get up to speed. I think I have a good sense of what's going on and where we're headed, so I appreciate the hard work for everybody that lost sleep. Thank you, Your Honor. We appreciate that. Before I go to Mr. Booz on the motions, is there anyone else that wanted to just make an opening comment or raise an issue? Mr. Warren, I notice I think you're the only other party 
on that's active on the video. Did you wish to be heard? Yes, I would like to be heard, Your Honor. Please, go ahead. Yeah, Matt Warren of King and Spalding on behalf of uh, Refinery de Cartagena, which uh, Mr. Greco and I also refer to as Greco Car. Um, Your Honor, you probably do not recall us from the prior Chapter 11. I, I, had, one, uh, I had one small time before you, and that's because uh, the confirmation order in your prior bankruptcy preserved our claim in full, um, confirmed that the arbitration was the appropriate form which would go to, and so we didn't have much else to say. Um, as Mr. Greco noted, I think they probably regret that equitization and leaving our claim in place now, now that it's subject to a, an award in at least $1.3 billion. I know this won't be Your Honor's case for the full term. I think I'll keep it to a 10-second to a background, and then I have one reservation I wanted to make about the joint administration. But, you know, as the Repicar and debtors issues stem back well over a decade, the arbitration has been going on for a decade. It culminated in a six-week-long trial um, a little over three months ago, as Mr. Greco noted, in an arbitration award that found that the debtors acted with um, gross negligence in breaching their contracts with Repicar, and as a result of their gross negligence, uh, and, and, and malintent were liable for more than $1.3 billion. Um, I won't dwell on the scale of the award in Columbia, Your Honor, but it can't be overstated. Um, this, this action in the debtor's context is one of the largest scandals in the history of the country. Uh, individuals were, have been under house arrest in Columbia for years on account of the, the action. Um, careers were ruined, prospects of people were fired, and incarceration remains for many of the people that were involved in that project. So I say that only in the severity of the situation uh, is hard to overstate from a Colombian perspective and how serious they take this. Um, as Mr. Greco, I think, very accurately noted, uh, while they had debt maturities coming up eight months from now and we're working on extensions of those, uh, the purpose of these proceedings is to discharge the Repicar claim. Uh, for, for all, and perhaps they could have stayed out of court if not for the Repicar claim. And I do understand they want to move as quickly as possible um, to discharge Repicar's claim while leaving all the other creditors and equity holders intact. I, I know not for today, but whether these, these ultimately work in the UK and the Netherlands, I think will be a very contested issue. Um, you know, there is a pure violation of the absolute priority rule at its core. The equity here is remaining intact while the debt is not being paid. They are seeking incredibly broad, non-consensual third-party releases that will raise real concerns. But look, as Mr. Greco noted, uh, they have fairly full support from everybody who's being paid in full. Um, everybody who's getting the full payment, uh, except for Mr. Alvarino's clients, so I'm sure we'll hear from, uh, generally supportive of these transactions. Uh, that's everybody in this case, except for Repicar. Um, and so I, I do think that merits note. I think as we get into the scheduling, um, it's important to note that while Mr. Greco put up the October 20th hearing for the October 20th launch for the plans in the Netherlands. Uh, at the hearing yesterday, Repicar requested that a restructuring expert be appointed um, in lieu of an observer. Restructuring expert is, as I understand it, only been appointed once before in a lower case. Um, and it's sort of like a, a some, somewhat specific, a trustee that takes charge of the distribution of the plan and has the ability to work with creditors on proposing an alternative plan. Uh, if the restructuring expert uh, decides. Uh, right before this hearing, Your Honor, about 15 minutes before, uh, our, our request for the restructuring expert was granted in the Netherlands process. So I don't think that Mr. Greco can say they have control over when the process will be launched in the Netherlands. I believe Fresh Fields has been appointed to take charge as the restructuring expert in the Netherlands. 
Um, I don't have an issue with the December 4th or 5th date sort of being reserved on the calendar at this point, but I don't think the debtors are fully in charge of the process any longer. Um, the last thing I'll say, Your Honor, is I know Your Honor already signed the joint admin proceedings. I'd like to reserve on that that there is a reference to Kroll as the claims and noticing agent of the debtors, um, just as the, where the service goes to in the website. Um, we may have an issue with that. Um, Your Honor, there's a potential conflict problem there. I don't think it's for today. I didn't read Your Honor's joint admin order as approving anything with Kroll, but it is in the order. So I'd just like to say on the record that that doesn't in any way bless Kroll's role in these proceedings any further. Oh, fair enough. If there's an issue, you'll bring it to Judge Lopez's attention and, and he will deal with it. Um, if I could ask you a question, this representative person, um, does he or she, is he or she required to produce reports or is it just they just give opinions to the court when asked? So my understanding, Your Honor, and it, it's referred to as the restructuring expert. Restructuring expert. Um, and there's, an, there's a choice between uh, an observer, which is what the debtors requested in the Netherlands, um, who sort of just looks at their looks at the plan and says whether or not it's okay, or an alternative, which is the restructuring expert, which is a much more involved process. My understanding is that the restructuring expert, and again, this is only the second time one's been appointed in a lower case of the scale, so I think there's some some unknowns perhaps, um, even within the process, I think it's a pretty unusual and extraordinary remedy. But the restructuring expert takes control of the timing for the debtor's plan. The debtors can still propose their own plan, but they no longer control the timing of it. Simultaneously, the restructuring expert's mandate is to work with the creditors and potentially formulate his own plan as well and pursue that plan to be voted on. So as I understand it from our Netherlands experts, it's a bit of a mixture between a trustee being appointed slash a mediator being appointed somewhere in the middle because they actually do have control roles within the Netherlands, but they're but the debtors are, are still in charge of their assets, which I'm sure either uh, Mr. Luz or Graco would have can clarify. They're, they're still in control of their assets, but they're not in control of the timing of the process. And plus, we have sort of a pseudo-mediator, uh, as I understand it, to be appointed now in the Netherlands. Uh, there's a little bit high level. You probably tapped my knowledge on the Netherlands well-esteemed respecting expert rules and appointment, other than I attended the hearing yesterday where we saw it. Got it. We're going to go with akin to a subchapter 5 trustee. Sure. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds, sounds like they have some common things involved. All right. Thank you. And again, I'm, I'm, all I'm doing today is picking a date off of Judge Lopez's calendar after consultation with his staff. Um, obviously, if those, if those dates need to move at some future point in time, you'll, you'll reach out and file the appropriate pleadings with Judge Lopez to seek to move that. I mean, anybody can do that, obviously. All right. Mr. Warren, anything else before I go to Mr. Alvarino? No, that's all from me for now, Your Honor. Thank you, sir. Mr. Alvarino? Uh, good morning, Your Honor. It's Scott Alvarino from Making Gump on behalf of the senior LC at our group. Uh, Your Honor, Mr. Warren is a tough act to follow, but I have a few things that I'd like to just put on the record with Your Honor. Certainly. So, first and foremost, uh, number one, we'll go pro hoc on eventually. Uh, we did file a pleading, Your Honor, which I think probably hit the docket a few minutes after the hearing began. I think we sent copies over to Mr. Greco, Mr. Luz, as well as Mr. Warren. And first and foremost, we're not objecting to entry of the provisional relief, uh, but we did think it was appropriate, you know, to put a statement, you know, on the record because, you know, there are, in our view, 
certain kind of elements of the pleadings that were filed by the company that did not necessarily highlight, for Your Honor, for Judge Lopez, the contested nature of the proceedings that are currently underway in England as well as in the Netherlands. We've seen kind of the playbook before with commencement of foreign proceedings and in Chapter 15 kind of proceeding on a relatively perfunctory basis. And, Your Honor, I don't believe that is the case here. I think we're moving into a bit of uncharted territory with these cases, given the relief that is being sought through the English and Dutch proceedings in this case, which we believe is contrary to fundamental underpinnings in U.S. bankruptcy law. They are seeking relief. And our issues in this case, our issues are a little bit different from Mr. Warren's client's issues. We're probably more closely aligned with the company than we are with Mr. Warren when it comes to some of his client's issues. But there are other issues that go to what the company is trying to accomplish through what they call the amended extended portion of the foreign proceedings. In this case, the company is attempting through these proceedings to essentially extend funding commitments under pre-petition agreements for three years. This is not grant paper. This is not turning funds which have been advanced previously into new notes. This is requiring companies outside of bankruptcy to continue to honor unadvanced funding commitments to a company in bankruptcy through pre-petition documents. Now, our clients, along with Refrigar and others, are appearing in both the English proceedings as well as the Dutch proceedings. These will be heavily contested in both. Even though the sanctions hearing is scheduled right now for the end of November, there is a long, tough road to hoe getting there. And there will be significant discovery, significant expert testimony. And I think as our colleagues from Kirkland advised you, this is not a simple one-day trial. It will be a multi-day, if not longer, trial in the U.K. portion of this. And the Netherlands as well. Mr. Warren kind of stole my thunder, but it was a bit of a victory for Mr. Warren's clients as well as ours. Our clients as well filed a request for the restructuring expert in this case as opposed to the plan observer. We were very happy to hear that the Dutch court agreed with us and agreed with Refrigar at the point of that expert so that we can get independent eyes evaluating whether this is the correct pathway and the right pathway for the company and all constituencies impacted here. In any event, Your Honor, we wanted the court to be aware, and I'm sure Judge Lopez will review the transcript, this is not a perfunctory trip through Chapter 15. Even if we get to the point where the Dutch and English courts have approved these regimes, we will certainly be back in front of Judge Lopez on the Chapter 15 issues. And it's not going to be as simple as bringing it to court for a one-day hearing. Now, on the issue of setting the hearing date, I understand, Your Honor, it's just a hearing date. We can move it. We do think, though, we do think it would be helpful to just delay scheduling that hearing until Judge Lopez returns. And frankly, I think we'd like to understand whether the restructuring expert who will weigh in here on the timing and process as well as the substance of the plan has had a chance to confer with parties to see whether December 4th is actually a date that will stick. I don't really see a reason for any emergency here to put that date on the calendar, even though I know I've been on the other side of this. I like having dates. I like the momentum. I like pushing people towards results. But I do think in this case, given this morning's appointment of the restructuring expert, it would be, I think, beneficial for all sides, perhaps to kind of reconvene in front of Judge Lopez 
uh, maybe later this week or later next week, you know, to talk about that date and to see whether we have feedback for the restructuring expert as to whether that date will stick. So, again, not a, I understand dates can move and we can come back to the court and ask for it, but I do think in this circumstance, in light of this morning's developments, you know, a little pause on scheduling that date might make sense. But, you know, at this point, Your Honor, I'm happy. I know you're not going to be dealing with this case. I will note uh, they chose not to come back to Houston, you know, to file the Chapter 22 for McDermott. You know, there's something that they're seeing that's beneficial in the U.K. and the Netherlands, which is why they are there. And, you know, we will kind of deal with that process in those venues, and we will deal with it if we have to, if it returns to the United States through a recognition hearing. Uh, but with that, Your Honor, I will reserve comments and see what Mr. Lewis has to say, and if you have any questions, I'm happy to take them right now. So just, Mr. Alvarino, just one. I, I want to make sure I read between the lines appropriately. You're, you're telling me, you're telling the court that in a recognition hearing, there are going to be some U.S. policy concerns that you believe are going to need to be addressed, um, even if the debtors are successful in other jurisdictions. Did I read that right? You read it perfectly, Your Honor. All right. It's, I, I'll make sure I convey, I, I, well, I've now put it on the transcript for Judge Lopez, so he he will have it. All right, thank you. Anyone else? Thank before, you, Your Honor. Thank you. Anyone else before I go to Mr. Luce? All right, Mr. Luce. Can Your Honor hear me? Okay. Loud and clear. Thanks for checking. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, we have two matters going forward today. One is scheduling, which appears in docket number nine, and one is a request for provisional relief, which appears in docket number ten. Um, before we get into the two motions, Your Honor, we also filed three declarations. Uh, Mr. Brantley, who's the foreign representative, which is sort of the main evidentiary basis. We also um, filed declarations from Ms. Crawford, um, a, a UK-specific declaration, and from Mr. Stroykin, which is a Dutch-specific declaration. Those appear at docket numbers four, six, and five, respectively. Uh, we would ask that those uh, be moved into evidence for, for purposes of today's hearing only, Your Honor. Uh, All right, thank you. And I have read each of the three declarations. Any objection, again, admitted for purposes of today's hearing only, the declarations which are marked as debtor exhibits one, two, and three uh, found at CMECF four, five, and six. All right, they are admitted. Anyone wish to cross-examine? Any of the three witnesses? Not waiving your right to do so at a future date. All right. Thank you. Then they are admitted, Mr. Luce. Thank you, Your Honor. So with that, I'll jump into the scheduling motion, which is docket number nine. Um, Your Honor, solve effectively all we're asking for is a date. Um, and we're seeking a date that is the earliest date that would fall after we're expecting to have sanctioned hearings and orders entered in the Netherlands and the UK. Um, there is additional relief in there, Your Honor, related to form of notice. Um, we also have some relief in there that's become relatively standard in this jurisdiction around EU and UK data privacy laws. Um, nothing out of the ordinary there. I, I believe it's consistent with um, what we've agreed with the U.S. trustee in the past, but I don't have specific sign-off from the Office of the United States trustee. Um, Your Honor, we're asking for a day, the week of December 4th, 
Um, we understand from conferring with Chambers beforehand that December 5th at 1 p.m. Central is a possibility based on Judge Lopez's availability. Um, Your Honor, in particular with respect to Mr. Alberino's comments, it is useful to have a date on the calendar for parties to work towards collectively. Um, there will be briefing and papers filed ahead of this hearing. There will be potentially you know, discovery and other information that happens ahead of this hearing. Um, right now, the timeline of both the Dutch and UK proceedings are within that date, such that that would be an appropriate date for a recognition hearing. Um, and also, Your Honor, uh, this, is, this is a busy jurisdiction and dates fill up, um, and we want to be sure to have some time on the calendar. If something changes, um, and we'll, we'll reserve a debate on the exact role of the restructuring expert in the Netherlands. I don't think it's akin to a trustee, and it's, it's, there's a uh, significant potential that the restructuring expert agrees with our plan is to pass forward. Um, all of that is to be sorted through in the coming weeks. It's not like we're asking for a hearing at the beginning of November. There's, there's plenty of time here to allow those proceedings to play out. And if parties wish to come back um, or facts develop with respect to the UK or Dutch proceedings such that November 5th no longer makes sense, um, as we do in, in, in matters all the time, we can, we can look to adjust those dates as appropriate. Um, but for now, we think it's appropriate and, and beneficial um, for the company to have a date on the calendar to move these ahead and also allow the company to, to message to their various stakeholders who are not as familiar um, as those of us on this on this call are with the process, um, to be able to message that these processes are moving to an orderly conclusion, um, um, even if those dates are, are moved somewhat um, at a later time. So unless Your Honor has any questions, um, that is our request. Uh, and we submitted a proposed form of order uh, with openings for the date and the objection deadline. All right, thank you. Um, Mr. Alvarino, no need to repeat what you said earlier. I, I heard you. Um, any additional common comments or arguments you want to make? No, the, the only point I would make there is um, I think we referenced earlier the sanction hearing in the UK begins the week of November 27th and probably goes that whole week. Uh, the recognition hearing you're looking at schedule is kind of a week from the start of that sanctions hearing. Um, there are a lot of a lot of people who are involved here are going to be probably rolling from one to another. Um, it does seem a little bit burdensome to have all the professionals and principals involved here roll from one hearing to another. But you know, all I would say there is, you know, we could probably if we could consider like pushing it out a little bit longer. I think that would be helpful. But I go back to my earlier point of, you know, maybe we get some. Maybe if we can get feedback from the restructuring expert in the UK, taking into account this full schedule. You know, we can come up with something that's, I think, more kind of reasonable and orderly for all involved. Because I think both proceedings are going to be heavily contested, you know, with briefing and witnesses. So it's a little difficult to roll from the UK into the U.S. without some interim period. Got it. Sorry. Your, your Honor, Matt Warren, I, one point of note there, too, that may help. The, 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 the hearing was scheduled for four days. That was the subject of a contested convening hearing a month ago or so, maybe a few weeks ago. But the 27th is called the day of pre-reading in the UK. That's not actually, we, that, as I understand it, Your Honor, that's allocated for the time the judge will spend reading um, the papers before the hearing. 
not that I'm proposing that in the U.S., but the pre-reading day is the 27th, and then the hearing will start, I believe, on the 28th. And I think, as Mr. Alvarino noted, they've set aside four days for it so it could go through the 1st of December in the U.K. Got it. Do we have the U.S. trustee on the line? I thought I saw him earlier. Good morning, Your Honor. There you are. U.S. trustee, do you have any thoughts on this? No, I'll just respond to one of Mr. Lewis's comments. We're not raising any objection to the redaction of information in a foreign proceeding. We may have neglected to communicate that value now. Got it. All right. Anyone else wish to be heard? All right. Here's what I'm going to do, and let me start in reverse order. With respect to the redaction paragraph, which is paragraph number 6, it was framed in the foreign representative is authorized. Again, I don't know. I don't profess to be an expert in U.K. law or, excuse me, with respect to the Netherlands on the privacy issues. I don't even profess to be an expert on U.S. law when it comes to the current state of privacy. What I am going to do, though, is I'm going to change that from discretionary to mandatory. I'm just going to say the foreign representative is directed to redact from any document. Again, just given what we've seen occur, I'm going to err on the side of caution, as I always do. I know the U.S. trustee can't agree to it. It actually runs contrary to certain printed policy, as I understand it. I know that everybody's working really hard to try and find the right landing place on it, and I'm simply going to be overly protective until that is put in place. With respect to the arguments about the hearing date, I got it. I simply don't have, I have but one date on a calendar that I don't control. So what I am going to do is I'm going to schedule it, excuse me, for December the 5th, 2023 at 1 o'clock. Objections due no later than November the 28th at 4 p.m. Central Time. What I'm also going to do, Mr. Luce, I'm going, and this will be on the record that Judge Lopez can listen to, I'm going to instruct you to reach out to his chambers, say, next week, and ask for, after talking to all the parties, because, again, I'm sure you'll get some feedback as to what's going on and how this develops over the next couple of weeks, is that you ask for a status conference, maybe before the pre-rating day, just to give Judge Lopez an update in terms of talking about scheduling. I think you'll have a much better idea then, and I agree with Mr. Alvarino. It's difficult to transition from one to another. I'm sure that you would probably want some breathing room as well. So that makes sense to me, but it seems to me that the best way to do that is to make that decision when we have more knowledge, which would, in my mind, be shortly before the start date. And so, again, if I could give you a date, I would. I simply can't. But it's on the record. I'm going to ask you to reach out to Judge Lopez's chamber and get a status conference sort of shortly before that proceeding is scheduled to start. Does that make sense to everybody? Certainly, Your Honor. We will do that. All right. And with that, I've looked at the notice. It's a notice I've seen before. It's a notice I've approved before. I do think that it achieves 
desired goals of being informative and transparent. Um, I don't have any concerns. Um, I will, with the changes that I've made as noted on the record, I will grant the motion. I've signed the order and it is on its way to docketing. Mr. Luce. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, that brings us to the last matter going forward on the agenda, which is docket number 10, which is our motion for provisional relief. Um, we are seeking um, the most significant relief requested, although there's some ancillary relief, but um, we are seeking imposition of a stay um, pending recognition. Um, Your Honor, to be clear, the scope of the stay is relatively limited. Um, the stay would apply to these debtors. It would apply within the borders of the United States. It would otherwise be the full scope of 362, but it's not like a Chapter 11 debtor's stay in as much as it doesn't purport to be worldwide. Um, we are seeking corresponding stays in the other processes, Your Honor. So in one sense, this fits with um, a global strategy with respect to sort of asset protection of the debtors. Um, Your Honor, not to hide the ball, there's specific actions um, that are at issue here that Mr. Greco touched on briefly. Um, a, a good, I think, concise description of, of what's transpired over the past several months between the company and Replicar is set forth in paragraphs 44 to 50 of, of Mr. Brantley's declaration. There's been an action in the Southern District of New York following the arbitration award. There was a motion to vacate that was commenced by the debtors. There was a motion to confirm the award, corresponding motion to confirm the award. And then recently there's been a motion seeking prejudgment attachment as well as discovery of foreign assets uh, of the debtors. The hearing on that motion is set for this Friday. There has, in addition, been an action in the Southern District of Texas it was, it was nominally commenced against McDermott International Limited, so the parent company, but it's specifically seeking discovery and information related to these entities um, for the purpose of contesting what's going on here abroad and I suppose potentially in connection with recognition. Um, your Honor, just to focus on a few points, I think it's, it's useful to focus on um, the harm that, being, that we're seeking to prevent, as well as sort of the corresponding burden. Um, here, Your Honor, they are seeking pre-judgment pre attachment, which would have the effect of granting a lien. Um, it's the exact type of sort of race to the courthouse type of activity that the stay is meant to prevent, even though it's not automatic here, that's why we're seeking it. Um, and, Your Honor, there are, there are broader ramifications. It, it's not just a distraction to the ongoing reorganization process. It's not just potentially a distraction to um, pursuing a, a, a sanction of our destruction in the Netherlands and the UK. There's also knock-on effects here to the broader business. These are the same issues that we discussed back in 2020. This, this company has um, a relatively sensitive capital structure in light of the nature of their business. They issue LPs for projects all over the world. Um, the nature of these projects, uh, counterparties will be risk averse. Um, to date, we've been able to avoid a cascade of LP draws from customers and suppliers 
because the, the company has been able, rightfully so, able over the past several years to continue to project stability. Um, and even though there was a restructuring in 2020, and even though we're pursuing a restructuring in the Netherlands and UK now, um, the company with the support of their stakeholders has continued to be able to, rightfully, assure their customers and other stakeholders that they continue to be a stable operating platform. If there's doubt, if there's a loss of confidence that can have significant effects and cascading effects in the phrase we use as the Mr. Brantley's declaration we use it in this quote a number of times, there's a sort of run on the bank scenario, the creation of instability, um, um, the creation of doubt, if collection actions are able to continue, could have a significant impact not just on these debtors, although the state applies to these debtors and we think would operate to stop the enforcement action we're focused on. Um, it has effects on the broader McDermott enterprise. Um, with respect to what the corresponding burden would be, in particular on Replicar, because those are the nearest term actions that we focused on, it's really just delay, but there continues to be a forum available. There seems to be multiple forums available to Replicar to continue to pursue their rights in the Netherlands and in the UK and now here um, and protect their rights. There's not a dissipation of assets. These companies continue to, to operate in the ordinary course, and they're subject to significant court oversight um, from three different courts now. Um, and so we'll conduct, I think, conduct their operations in accordance with their fiduciary duties and, and not try to siphon away assets that otherwise might be available uh, to produce abuse and to judgment creditors. We ultimately believe that, that the analysis will show um, that these claims are out of the money. That, that's not an issue for today. For today, we're just trying to maintain the status quo, protect the company, protect its assets. Um, and that's what we're seeking today. Um, it requires an affirmative order of the court because it's not automatic. But ultimately, we think um, in line with what 1519 provides for and, and relatively limited. With these debtors, it's inside of the United States. It's it, it, the scope of the state that's otherwise provided for under 362. I will pause there, Your Honor. Uh, happy to answer any questions. All right. Thank you. Anyone else wish to be heard? Your Honor, Matt Warren, on behalf of Rathcar, I'd like to be heard on this. Of course. Um, Your Honor, as the target of the pleading, I um, appreciate Mr. Uh, Luz's clarification that the order is only applicable to non-debtors and uh, inside, only applicable to debtors, not applicable to non-debtors, not applicable outside the United States. I don't think that's clear from the proposed order that they submitted. Um, the pleading talks a lot about non-debtors and actions against non-debtors. Um, I think it should be it would be clarified in, in a proposed order that it does not apply to any entity that's not the debtors in these in these Chapter 15 cases. Um, in, in Mr. Lewis's comments, I got a little bit lost on that as well, as he referenced the uh, 1782 action in the Southern District of Texas that's brought against Mr. McDermott International and sort of framed it as it's nominally against them. Uh, that's wrong. It's directly against McDermott International. Um, it's not brought against the debtor. 1782 uh, is actually a third-party discovery mechanism for in these informed proceedings. Um, so it's properly brought against the non-debtor. Um, and it is seeking discovery, much like the, the, the thrust of the prejudgment attachment was also in part uh, or in large part seeking discovery in Europe. Now, 
Mr. Lee, I will give Mr. Lee's client some, some credit. In the past 48 hours or so, they've actually started providing some of the information requested, and it may mediate some of that relief being sought. But I certainly don't think on a hearing that, that at least I only woke up six hours ago had notice of we should be enjoined. Um, they have a problem advice and an adversary proceeding, which is actually the proper way to file a 1519. Um, I don't, I don't want to stand on procedure at this point, but I think that's an improper procedural mechanism to even seek an injunction at this point. Um, and, and, and finally, I'll turn back to the, to the injunction itself. The, the, the petition to vacate and the motion to confirm uh, is fully briefed in the, in the Southern District of New York. Uh, and it's pending ruling in front of Judge Wood. And, and while we are focused on the value of, of McDermott Enterprises at Replicar, indeed, we are, we are the largest creditor, the largest single creditor of McDermott, and we believe we are the fulcrum and entitled to the recovery of all the equity value of, of, of McDermott International. So we have no intent of destroying that value. And we are sorry to be a distraction that we want a $1.3 billion for gross negligence in violation of a contract. I don't think our being a distraction to Mr. Lewis's clients or their equity holders merits stopping that action on a summary basis. Um, certainly not an injunction all the way through the end of these proceedings. I think Judge Wood should be permitted to rule on that fully brief action, and he shouldn't be enjoined from it now. Even if we do enjoin it for, uh, it certainly any injunction should only be for a period of a week or two weeks until we can come back to the court on fully brief papers around whether he, not, he should be able to rule on the petition to vacate and the confirmation of the arbitration award. Um, from our perspective, that's very significant. Um, there's no burden to the debtors of that. And the, and the sort of specter in the declaration, which I will admit, Your Honor, I didn't even really have time to read, but they're admitted to the hearing only for purposes of today. The specter of this cascade of letters of credit being drawn the second anything bad happens to the company, I mean, and that, that's, that's made up. The, the LCs can't be drawn unless their underlying contracts permit them to be drawn. And I would be very interested if Mr. Lewis has underlying contracts that say, in the event Repicar wins, wins confirmation of award, some third party gets to draw its LC against McDermott. I, I, there's, no, there's no contracts that say that. And so there's not this threat of cascades of LCs. People can't draw LCs whenever they want in the EPC contracting world. That's not how any of this actually works. It's just something that's being held out as a threat to, frankly, the detriment of my client. And so, so Your Honor, I do object to any stay of Judge Wood's ruling on the fully brief, uh, fully brief petition to vacate and motion to confirm the arbitration award. I don't think that these processes should hold that up. Um, and to the extent Your Honor disagrees with me, which, of course, you might and often do, uh, I would request that we could come back to court on a, on a more fulsome briefing that's not six hours in where we actually have time to submit papers on that front, um, perhaps as part of an adversary proceeding or not, depending on what your honor believes is the proper mandate under 1519. I don't necessarily think this is it, um, but we would request another chance to come back to court on that if your honor disagrees with us. All right. Thank you. Anyone else wish to be heard? All right. I'm trying to work my way through all of this and recognizing that the majority of the reorganization proceedings will occur um, outside of the United States and in looking at the intent of Section 1519, I do think that provisional relief is appropriate. Um, Mr. Warren, I was very concerned when you said it wasn't clear 
that the request for relief applied only to the debtors and only within the United States, I'm looking at, it's on page four, number two, and it actually requests, says, section 362 of the Bankruptcy Code shall apply with respect to the debtors and the debtors' property that is within the territorial jurisdiction of the United States. And then it goes on, but it doesn't erode that. It seems to me that that's just about as clear as it could be. If I'm missing something, I absolutely want you to point me to it. I was listening and reading both at the same times, and sometimes that's difficult to do. Your Honor, I do think that's clear, and I think the record makes it clear. I apologize. I might have got lost in the pleading references to actions against Baystar, against other parties, and actions against all sorts of other parties. I don't think the 1782 would be caught into this because it's against the parent. So I don't know exactly what it means to be nominally against another party, but I don't think that would be caught in this. So perhaps Mr. Lewis could clarify that that was outside of this, given it's against the non-debtor. So in my mind, what's being asked for, and I'm going to let the two of you talk offline. I don't think that parties should get stuck trying to put one on the spot. I think that's better for a conversation off the record. I do think that certainty demands here's where we're going to start from. I don't think that the provisional relief exceeds the scope of 1519. I think it just makes sense. We need a deep breath here. Mr. Warren, certainly nothing in this order prohibits you from coming back, whether it is on normal notice or expedited notice or emergency notice, if that's what the situation demands. And at that point, everybody will have had effectively their pre-reading day for today, and we can all be better educated. We can all be better informed. We can figure out if the restructuring expert is a party to appear or not, because I just simply don't know at this point. And I'm assuming that you all will educate Judge Lopez, who I hope will educate me. But looking at the request, I don't have any concerns about it. Everyone's rights to come back and seek specific relief from that order are not impacted by this. I'm going to grant the motion. I've signed the order that was uploaded at docket number 10 that has been signed. It's on its way to docketing. Folks, what else do we need to talk about today? That is it, Your Honor. As I said, we'll reach out to Judge Lopez's chambers to set that status conference, but otherwise we are concluded for today, Your Honor. I just think that makes sense. And, again, I do see Mr. Alvarino, I did read the statement that you filed at docket 32. There are a whole host of other motions to appear pro hoc. We'll get those taken care of very shortly. And with that, everyone have a great day, and we'll be adjourned until 1 o'clock. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.